Welcome to Stu's EV Universe, where you can find anything and everything electric vehicle. Today, my guest is Morgan Kaufman, CEO and owner of Columbus Yellow Cab. Thank you so much for joining me, Morgan. Stuart, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. I just, I guess we could jump right in. Can you tell me a little bit about the history of Columbus Yellow Cab? My understanding it was something that your grandfather started in 1928. Is that correct? That is correct. My grandfather started it in 1928, and it was a different time back then, whereas most people didn't own vehicles. They were expensive and they broke down a lot. So, unless you had a garage and uh, or if you were a mechanic, it, it, it made it very difficult to just keep the car on the road. The roads right. were pretty rough at the time. So um, hiring transportation was the norm, even to go to the grocery store, to go down to an Ohio State football game or what have you. Well, yeah, that's. I mean, that's really interesting. And in a way, we're maybe not ex- exactly coming full circle. But I mean, I have kids that are college age and my daughter, you know, she doesn't want to learn how to drive at this point. So there are kids that are out there, I call them kids, (laughs) that, uh, you know, will rely on other means, whether it's friends or a service or, you know, something else, mass transit to get around. So it's kind of interesting that uh, it seems like we went through this time where car ownership was was a a huge thing. And uh, now we're kind of going into a little bit of a different time. I, I couldn't agree more. The pendulum has, has certainly swung the other direction. Um, after World War II, it really seems that everybody wanted that car in their garage and a white picket fence. Right. And now, the thought for our young adults, um, ownership is not something that is prestigious like it used to be. Right. So they don't necessarily want to own homes or own vehicles, but they certainly need to get around. And mobility is a very important topic right now. Right. Right. Now, what is what is your background and why why the taxi business and why now? Great question. So uh, I owned and operated a trucking company. Uh, it's a family business also for 20 years. OK. And at um, the right place in time, sold that business. And my wife said to me, well, what are you going to do now, Morgan? <laughs> and I said, I haven't gotten that far because right. the wrap up had taken so much time and energy. I never thought what that next move was. Right. So um, I owned a small piece of Columbus Yellow Cab and wasn't active at the time. Um, so I started looking a little more closely at it. And it was the same time that Uber was coming into our market. Right. And so I did a deeper dive and really thought that Uber had some amazing things that were going on. However, I didn't like their business model because they put technology at the very center point. And I have a personal belief that the human component needs to be the nucleus right. of sustainable business plans. So I wanted to prove that out and see if that would work. So I purchased the rest of the shares from family members of Columbus Yellow Cab and decided the first thing we needed to do with a company that's almost 100 years old is to rebuild uh, from the inside out. And what I really mean by that is if you're one degree off a year for 100 years, you're really left of center. And for companies that have gone through many um, different generations, it's very common for that to happen. So 
I realized that by going around and speaking to mechanics and call center folks and people in the check-in room. And I asked them what we did at Columbus Yellow Cab. And I got a different answer from every single person I talked to. Mm. So I realized that the first thing we needed to do was to um, crystallize who we are and what we do. Because if everyone's giving a different answer, for us to cover as much ground as we need to to make the changes to modernize, we'd all have to be in lockstep to do that. And if everyone believed we were doing something just a little different, it would take much more time. Right. So we brought in a group uh, that we worked with uh, for 11 months to really drive um, what our purpose as a company is and what it's going to be. And it took a lot of work and it was incredibly difficult at first, but when our staff started to buy into the concept of having a singular purpose, it really helped a lot. Right. And um, we were able to cover a lot of ground uh, uh, very quickly. But during that time period that we were looking inside to really figure out what our purpose was, it came very much to the forefront that we'd been polluting central Ohio for <laughs> years. Right. We do about uh, we do a little over 10 million miles a year on average, and we do about a million uh, trips. So you multiply that by 100 using internal combustion engines. It's a lot of CO2. Right. So part and parcel of us making our cultural change was to also figure out how to have a greener solution uh, and continue working with the city of Columbus to bring people from where they are to where they want to be. And I had no idea how to make that journey a reality. So I started traveling around the world and meeting with experts uh, in the different areas that we needed help with. And what I mean by that is having been around for close to 100 years, you know where the pain points are. You know where it hurts. Right. Um, and we looked for very specific technology to fix those pain points. Um, and with the help of a huge amount of wonderfully brilliant people, we were able to take their ideas into Central Ohio and build a collage, um, which is what we're doing right now. So we knew we needed electric vehicles. We didn't have access to the ones that we wanted. So we started with Chevy Bolts with a B, not a V, which I think was a <laughs> major marketing no. Major marketing, yes. <laughs> Problem, and, right. and and we had problems. Number one is it didn't build our narrative the way we wanted it to. And what I mean by that more specifically is the bolt to find vehicle. It's a mid-sized car. Oh, and by the way, it's electric. Right. That wasn't telling our story. Right. So after a year of that, we decided to move on and get into Tesla Model 3s. Mm -hmm. which really helped strengthen our narrative because the driver didn't have to introduce the vehicle as being electric. People in the back seat would say, what is this thing? Is this a spaceship? <laughs> right. So it made that conversation and our driver advocates much easier to, to explain what the range is. It's electric. This is how it works. No CO2, all those kind of touch points. So 
it, it started our journey. Yeah. How, how many EVs do you have in your fleet compared to total total numbers? And, and are they all Teslas at this point? So we stuttered step into the answer to that question. Yep. And uh, the reason we did it is technology, especially in the EV market, is changing so quickly that you can't switch an entire fleet all at once or you're buying yesterday's products. Right. So we are feathering in vehicles over time. So right now, I think we have just under 40. Um, and yes, those are all currently Teslas. But our stutter step into it was also with hybrids because we couldn't, the, the electric vehicles we wanted weren't available when we first started this. Right. So we have maybe around 80 hybrids as well. And we, as a company, do not own any ICE vehicles except for paratransit vehicles. Uh, we're waiting with bated breath for any of the OEMs to come out with a van that is fully electric. Mm, right, right. Well, that's, I mean, that's interesting because like here in, in Louisville, Kentucky, there is a, a taxi service, a cab service, and they, I think they paint their vehicles bright green and they say we're green and they're, they're, hybrids they're not even plug-in hybrids they're hybrids and i've always thought oh you know why not take that extra step you know of course as as someone in the know that that you know evs are hybrids are better than gas and diesel vehicles don't get me wrong but um you know to go that extra step is 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 huge what part did charging obviously you add these vehicles to your fleet then you have a concern about charging whether it's level two charging whether it's dc fast charging frequency of charging that that's a, a piece that's not there with with gas and diesel great um, great point it's it's a very very big part of the equation because not only are you introducing a new vehicle to a marketplace but you're introducing an entire ecosystem to a marketplace. And right. what I mean by that, it's a chicken and, and the egg question, which comes first. And there's only one answer when it comes to EV and charging. We are now in the business of building out micro mobility hubs, not only to charge the vehicles, but also to do a car sharing service that's electric as well. Because okay. at the end of the day, car sharing and Taxi and TNC are all really the exact same thing. So we built, um, let's see, two DC fast chargers at our headquarters and six level two. We first started out with, how many do we have? 16 level one solar chargers. Oh, great. Um, and now we've got 12 other sites that we're working on to build out this micro mobility ecosystem. Uh, we're putting these in uh, underserved neighborhoods because we want to create jobs, not only for that driver, but in some of these underserved communities, uh, they're mobility deserts. So folks can't habitually get to work and have a consistent lifestyle and a consistent paycheck unless we put these micromobility hubs and have drivers taking people for uh, to work sites on a regular basis. So that is what we're spending our time doing. Uh, so we're actually doing the chicken and the egg at the same time. <laughs> I serve on the board of Clean Fuels of Ohio, and okay. they have been absolutely instrumental in making this happen. We're also working with the Department of Energy and the EPA. Okay. Well, this is great. Yeah, I mean, to kind of get into those underserved areas is huge because I think with EV adoption, that's a piece of the puzzle that isn't quite there yet, you know, and, and is an important piece. And 
being in the EV space, education is is always a huge part of it. And uh, as far as that goes, I mean, do you do something at the vehicle level to other than the fact that they're Teslas and they they look cool, which is true, that that kind of makes is there something like a graphic or something on the vehicle that uh, I guess brands it, marks market markets it as not only that it's from your company, but also something that is electric. You know, in the early days of electric vehicles, you know, people would build these things and they would actually put the word electric on it. But in an instance like what you're doing, an application like what you're doing, that that kind of thing could be very important. So we've taken a very different route. Um, and when you think of Columbus Yellow Cab, for some reason, everybody thinks about yellow vehicles. Right. And for good reason. However, it didn't make sense to us because we're taking a perfectly good vehicle, then we're going to repaint that vehicle, then right. we're gonna decal that vehicle, and we're adding weight, we're adding additional cost, right, and more drag, and more time to put that vehicle on the road. So we decided to take a colorblind perspective on the entire thing. So if you see our fleet, you will see all different colors of vehicles. And we did that culturally as well, because we hire, we, we, I think we have uh, more than 45 different countries represented by oh, our driver. Right. So when I say we're colorblind, we're colorblind through and through. Right. Um, to answer your first question about whether they say electric or how we're, we're marketing, we don't want to do that. We want it to be a very subtle conversation and not in your face. And the reason is, if I'm going to show up at your doorstep and tell you that I'm going to educate you about something, the human response is to get on your heels a little bit and get defensive. However, mm -hmm. if I show you something and you're interested, we're creating curiosity. And now the conversation can start. So there's three things that we are doing to, to make this business model legitimate. And one is we're elevating the experience, not only for the front seat customer vis-a-vis -vis the driver, but also the back seat customer, because we think of both the driver and the passenger as our customers. Number two is we are making it convenient for those drivers to and passengers to be able to get to the vehicle. And what I mean by that is we have an app that is very much like Uber's where you hit a button and you get a car, Okay. but also on the driver's side, they can reserve the car ahead of time and their phone actually unlocks the car for them to go to work. So we, we offer that convenience factor. And, and then number three is we, we, want it to, we want to show them perceived value. And precisely that is the Tesla is the, is, is the safest car in the world. Mm. So we just feel better as a company being able to put a driver and a passenger in a, in a vehicle that is the safest in the world. So we feel really good about that. So through those three things, um, it's establishing who we are and what we stand for as a company. Oh, and by the way, it happens to be green, and we're not putting that in anyone's face. And, and what kind of feedback have you received, like from drivers and passengers, about specifically about being in an well, electric vehicle? I'll start on the driver side, which I found to be, well, surprising to me. So we bought the first, I think, ten vehicles. And nobody was, none of the drivers wanted to drive them. And I couldn't believe it. <laughs> like, I didn't understand why. Right. And 
So we had to start doing surveys with the drivers and get them to a point of comfort and honesty where they could tell us what the problem was. And the problem was they look at a vehicle as if it's their tool to make money. And if they are not a master at that tool, it's right. not a safe environment for them to drive. So that was an overwhelming comment because they got into the Model 3 and nothing was familiar. Right. So it was it was almost a distraction and they didn't feel safe because they didn't know how to operate their car. So immediately we would take three drivers at a time and we created a department. Um, it's called driver empowerment that would train the drivers exactly how to use those vehicles. And we did drive alongs and really explained how those vehicles could work for them versus them working for the vehicle. That's, that's really interesting. I mean, especially in an, an, an age where either there are no manuals or they're electronic and people don't look at the manuals, having that one-on-one, -on -one, I imagine, is, is hugely valuable. It, it really turned out to be exactly that. Yeah. And as far as the passengers, uh, have you received feedback there? The passengers are over the moon. <laughs> Most of our passengers have never seen a Tesla Tesla let alone been in a Tesla. Right. We have gotten handwritten notes sent to us in the mail. Wow. Thanking us for the experience that they had. That really hits home with us. Um, for someone to take the time to do that just warms our hearts. That's really something. Yeah, that's great. Now, obviously, it's a business. Um, I mean, and, and obviously, you have to factor all of this in. What are, what's the financial benefit? of running electric vehicles as compared to gas and hybrid vehicles? That's a really important question. At the end of the day, it really comes down to ROI. So we did a lot of research and there wasn't a lot of research we could do because there wasn't a lot of miles driven in a lot of these new vehicles, but we used data to make our decisions. So we had to look inside our own company. And what we've come up with so far is the total cost of ownership of the Model 3, for example, is about half of what we were paying for an internal combustion engine vehicle. Wow. And the reason is there's over 1,300 parts <laughs> in an yeah. internal combustion engine, whereas there's about 13 moving parts in an electric vehicle. Right. Um, I do want to point out that we spent a number of years working very closely with Tesla to become a certified third-party um, body shop for them. And I think we were one of the first ones in the world. So we can do our own work on our vehicles in um, January of next year. We're then going to open up to the public to be able to work on, on uh, everyone's Tesla. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Now, um, I, I guess you were mentioning Uber and Lyft. And so, you know, some people listening to this might think, oh, you know, it's kind of a retro kind of thing. It's almost like perhaps, you know, vinyl <laughs> records coming back where, you know, what was the problem with streaming services or what is the problem with stream streaming services? Obviously, Uber and Lyft is out there. What sets you apart from, you know, those those services and and um, how do you perceive kind of moving yourself into the forefront in that space? So I, I would say the biggest difference between our company and their companies is we don't lose billions of dollars to our investors every single quarter. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. That's the biggest. 
That's the biggest one. I mean, okay. I think Uber has lost more money than any modern company in the history of the stock exchange. Right. So that, to me, doesn't seem like a sustainable future. Right. I think they have certainly elevated um, the technological know-how and how people think about hailing a vehicle digitally. However, to grow as fast as they did, as quickly as they did, as big as they did, I, I think that there are a lot of a lot of points that they wish they could do over again. Right. Um, we like to think of ourselves as offering a very safe environment and vetted drivers. I became an Uber driver and it took me about, I think it took maybe eight or nine minutes just to see what the experience was like. Right. Uh, and for us, we take all of our drivers in and we do safety training, medical training, uh, communication training, uh, and then we have ongoing resources to help support them both through education and open forums at, where the drivers can bring wonderful ideas to us that we never thought of. So it's a real it's a real two-way street. I think Uber and Lyft were thinking they could go to autonomous very quickly and just have drivers for a very short Band-Aid period of time. Right. Uh, and in my opinion, we, we believe in autonomous. It's happening. We've worked on a lot of programs with, with autonomous vehicles, and it doesn't, uh, it doesn't serve every single ride that we do. It certainly can serve some, but not all, because it's important for us to be able to take the groceries for a senior up you know, four or five flights of stairs to help them get into their home whereas an autonomous vehicle can't exactly do that. Right, right. Now, as far as the way it's set up, sometimes when you think of taxis or cabs, you know, if you're old enough, like me, you think of the show Taxi, um, where you have relationships and you have people in this one place where they're going out from that one place. But Uber and Lyft kind of turned that on its head where it's no longer that centralized place. Do you, is, is, how is your business set up? Is it centralized? So, is it different places within the city? Is it both? Um, another just terrific question. Um, so we work a number of different ways. Uh, in one respect, we're similar with Uber, whereas we have owner operators who own their own vehicles so right. they can take them home at night. However, we don't feel that drivers should have to own a vehicle to be a professional driver. So we also lease our Teslas to drivers. And we had for many, many years, just like you described, worked as a legacy model taxi cab company where driver would have to get in their own vehicle, drive that vehicle to our headquarters, get in a taxi, then go to work and repeat that in reverse on the way home, right. having wasted time, energy, and money to do so. So we wanted to remove some of those barriers of entry. And that's why we're creating these micro mobility hubs all around central Ohio. So the vehicles are just a bus stop or two away from the folks that are going to be driving them. So it's a multimodal solution to that to that problem. And I know we're a 100-year-old company, but we like to think of ourselves as a 100-year-old startup because it allows us to have fresh eyes when we look at our problems. Right. And when we really grow up as a company, instead of being decentralized, which we're in the process of doing now, we want to really be distributed. But that's probably another two years or three years off. Now, what do you, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, automation, you know, with Tesla, it's autopilot. And, uh, you know, there was just a, a big event with, you know, artificial intelligence and what they're doing in that space, which is pretty mind boggling. What do you think 
you know, the future is like. I know that with Evolve KY, some of our members will talk about taking longer car trips and they, they do have autopilot engaged. And just the fact that they don't, you know, they're they're aware of what's going on. They're they're at the ready in case something goes wrong. But if they're taking a longer trip, it relaxes them and, and it makes, you know, several hours seem like a lot less. Is is autopilot something that your drivers use? Is it something that you think is going to be used more and more? What do you think the future of, of, of this is going to look like? So the future isn't yet right. when it comes to autonomous driving and AI. It's an experiment right now. And Clumshell Cab is not willing to participate in that experiment, but in five or 10 years from now, I don't believe it's going to be an experiment anymore. And it right. would be something that we would we would look to. Okay. No, that's great. Was uh, there anything that I uh, didn't touch on that you'd like to talk about? Um, all I can say is stay tuned. There are lots of things that are changing in this space very, very quickly. And uh, I just want to thank all of the folks who have helped us get to where we are right now, because without their cooperation, and without their help, we would have no way to be where we are right now. So um, thank you, everyone, for uh, for helping us get here. And we're not there yet. And there's a lot more work to be done. But we're having a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, no, thank you so much for spending a little time with me. I really appreciate it. And uh, I wish you continued success success on uh, all your endeavors there. It's, it sounds like a wonderful project. Stay tuned, Stuart. Uh, right. Let's have a let's have another talk in you know maybe six months or twelve, and we'll see uh, we'll see where we stand then. That sounds great. Appreciate Thanks it so much for everything. You be well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Stu's EV Universe. I would like to thank Eden Unger for creating the artwork and the music for this episode. Remember, please rate, review, subscribe, and share, as that's the only way we can continue to grow. Now you can support us on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash EVU. Remember, the EV revolution runs on your energy. I'm Stuart Unger. See you next time.